You're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that closely examines every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. I'm Vic. I'm John, and this is my non-shellfish eating friend, Justin. <laughs> Justin here. <laughs> we're going to get into some shellfish eating stuff this episode for sure. Today we're discussing episode three, season one, Denial, Anger, Acceptance. The air date was January 24th, 1999. It was written by Mark Saracini and directed by Nick Gomez. Two names that we haven't heard from yet in this show. I'm not familiar with their work. Are you guys familiar with their body of work? Did anybody take the time? I did no research. Did you do any research on this? Nor did I. Let's just suffice it to say that David Chase has faith in these guys, so they're good enough for us too. So uh, the HBO synopsis, uh, Justin, will you please do the honors? Uh, Yeah. Uncle Junior's associate, Mikey Palmisi, stirs things up by making Junior think Tony wants to be next in line for boss. Meanwhile, Tony, Paulie, and Silvio deal with Hasidic family problems. I want to make sure that we talk about... um, Mikey Palmisi stirring shit up. This is like Mm -hmm. a theme. uh, And it's kind of setting the tone for those of us that haven't seen the show. This is a classic thing, classic device that David Chase does in every season is he develops an asshole early on in the the season. And you just feel like something, it's not going to go well for this guy. So that's Mikey Palmisi in this case. He just has a face that you don't like, right? When you just look at him. He has fuckface-itis. Fuckface-itis, yeah. yeah. Totally. And then, and you, I want you guys to tell me what your themes are, but I want to make sure we talk about that. Uh, I want to make sure we talk about Tony fixating on art, which was an mm. obvious hit you over the head. Yeah. But there's one thing that really messed me up today that I want to share with you. It has to do with the ending of the series. We're not going to talk about the ending today, but it this there's all these little seeds that have been planted. And now that we're going to be going back through the show episode by episode, as these seeds are coming at me or Mm. as I'm reading things about stuff, it's starting to like lock in more. So Tony fixating on art. Mm. Um, Then we're going to talk about the Hasidic problems. We're going to talk about the get. Do you have Hasidic problems? Have you had occasion? Hasidim, but I don't believe them. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about the get. And then this is uh, the theme of Tony solving other people's problems. Last week, we talked about how AJ's teacher had an issue with his car. So Tony to the rescue. This is a situation where Silvio comes to Tony and says, hey, I need you to take care of a problem for me. We're going to get into that. Mm. And then the final theme that I have, well, I have two more themes, actually. Um, Artie's Restaurant. Again, it's a, it's more of a place than it is a theme, but some stuff goes down with respect to Artie's Restaurant. And then uh, finally, I had Tony's Infidelity, always getting cut short by something that he has to clean up from one of the guys in his crew. Uh, it was interesting because this week, it looked like we all had very different themes. Yes. Uh, yeah. surrounding Tell me then. Different well, I, I think they all sort of merged together. My first was the the blowback from the botched truck hijack, which mm. Mikey Palmisi, Mikey Palmisi, and shit. all that. Yeah. Uh, my second theme was sort of looking at Tony's relationships with Artie and other male friends, and how he expresses his affection or admiration towards those people, be it ulterior motive or not. Um, the third theme was. That help comes with strings attached. Mm. We get a look at big time how yeah. uh, Tony's involvement in any situation is comes with a lot, a lot of uh, additional problems, a lot of baggage. And then uh, the last theme was uh, that Livia calls the shots. And, and we, we talked that. about that last week too, yeah. right? She's so that's more she's of a the, reoccurring. She's I suppose. the head. Yeah. She's the head of the family. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah what about I mean, you, Justin? Yeah, for me, I, I always like to go back to the. Uh, 
to the titles of every episode and kind of see how that that is brought into every single scene. And let's start and, with that then. Yeah. Start this off with the title. Okay, so we got denial, anger, and acceptance. Those are three of the five stages of grief. Um, do you know? Not to put any pressure on you, but do you know what three and four are? Yeah, yeah. The missing ones are bargaining and depression. Okay. Um, which is which is interesting because those are kind of two themes that you see throughout the show. Obviously, depression is a major factor in the show. Tony is is pretty depressed. That's why he goes to see Melfi and uh Prozac. Prozac. Why'd they omit that from the title? What, those two? I don't know. I don't know. I find it interesting. Maybe maybe because it kind of sets up the rest of the show for uh you know those, or it could those just, two themes. It could just be a long ass title. It, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too long for the HBO synopsis yeah. people. Still processing the grief. <laughs> Still processing. Yeah. What's the first thing that happens? I guess I guess we'll just a logical starting point is Mikey. Mm. There's a scene. Um I'm also gonna cite a lot of uh, a lot of uh Sopranos autopsy today. Mm. Had some like devastating revelations here that he he specifically compares and contrasts the <laughs> old guard with the new guard yeah yeah that's that? that original that first scene i i feel like per- perfectly encapsulates both of those you got junior who's obviously the old guard and then mikey i wouldn't necessarily say mikey is like the new guard that's more of a uh, chris and brendan but mikey is kind of the bridge and totally and he he kind of wants to go all out you know Scarface, final scene, let's take these two guys out. They've disrespected you, Junior, and, you know, Junior goes with that classic line. You should have sent a clear-cut signal to the world. You fuck with Junior, Soprano. Take it easy. We're not making a Western here. So he kind, of, he kind of takes it back to the way the, the old guys did it, where they just shoot you with, like, a wink and a smile, and, and behind your back you get one. Well, I think Mike, Mikey was smart for pushing... For more retribution. I mean, you're, we're at a p- time and place now where the boss is sick. There's a transition of leadership, and I think he wanted to make sure they act as it, as if that the junior represents his strength. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you you know you go a little bit later on in the episode. Maybe I'm jumping ahead, but we could do that. We have can, we can you have that list. sit down with Junior and Livia. You know that really that really intense sit down where it's kind of joking but junior's kind of coming to her for for advice he he looks at her as you know kind of a an extension of his his uh late brother and um there's a there's a line that i think tony says later on in the season where he says you know if you were born around those feminists you'd be running the show and she's she's kind of you know wise obviously she plays it cool but uh junior junior goes to her and she kind of gives the really indirect nod and go ahead to kind of maybe christopher could use a little talking to you know the other one feloni i don't know Livia endorses the hit on Brendan, essentially. The thing with Christopher, she basically, it's okay if they touch him up, which to me signifies that she's not related to him, which means... She says Tony uh, always treated him like a son, and so does she. Yeah. What I learned from the the scene is if there's any elderly people out there that need uh, the storm windows put on, I'll put them on because that saved his life, I think. If he (laughs) hadn't hadn't have done that, he would have been... 
in the bathtub with Brennan. That's a meme waiting to happen right there. The way that Junior decided to take that, I think he took it a little too far, but the message sent? Message conveyed? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. So Livia is calling the shots. Junior still respects her as such. Where do we want to jump to from here? We've got got a couple of things. There's a new intro. We're introduced to Rosalie April for the first time. Mm. She's a new character that I've flagged. Jackie's in the hospital. Jackie's not doing well. We're kind of getting a sense. There's a scene later in the episode where Tony's essentially coming to him to kind of tell him about what's going on business-wise. But Jackie's kind of in a mental state where he's mostly concerned about his own welfare. And Tony, there's a kind of like a visual gesture. There's an acknowledgement that Tony's got to kind of just call shots on his own now. Jackie refers to Mikey. I guess there's a logical tie-in here. Mikey's in the room when everybody's breaking balls, checking in on Jackie, and he refers to him as the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. which we'll find out in the future has a lot of implications. Yeah. yeah, so in in the I think it was the previous episode, Tony's Tony's having that conversation with with Junior and Jackie kind of about, you know, how punishment should be handed down to Tony's crew because Christopher and Brendan stole the trucks and Tony was like, you know, I didn't want to bother you to get out of bed and then Jackie immediately goes, "No, fuck that." So he's kind of still in business mode even though he's sick and talks about chemo, you know, he's still trying to take care of, you know, business. And then in this episode, it's interesting how it transitions in into him uh you know focusing on his health you know tony's trying to talk to him about the 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 title men business the hotel business and and all these other things that are going around and all he's focusing on is his temperature so it goes from him you know being well enough to think about business to that's kind of you know we're we're past that he's he's kind of long gone and now now it's you know who's going to take the reins yeah it's a a very important character that we don't get to really know a lot and uh one takeaway that i loved was uh, the part of the episode where tony uh brings the stripper to the uh hospital <laughs> room and as a gesture of friendship and uh, a way to distract him from all of the the woes of cancer um and then just how satisfied that made tony even when he's talking with melfi about it and yeah uh, you get to see a a softer side of tony that's just really looking out to make his friend a his life a little bit easier yeah yeah and uh you know not to get too psychological here but um get and i think this i think this might have been something that was in soprano's autopsy but i'm i'm not sure but they talk about how you know freud always says the two main human drives are death and sex and um you see the you see this in in two scenes and i'll get to this one later but you have jackie dying and then you have tony cheering him up with sex with the stripper later on Later on in this in the episode, you get Ariel, who's uh, you know Titleman's uh, son-in-law. Um, you know they're threatening him with death, and he's totally okay with it. But then they threaten to uh, to cut off his manhood and finish t- his bris. Finish his bris, and then he's not okay with that. So it's kind of death and sex, kind of playing itself over and over again in the show. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's let's do the Titleman bit, shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's do the get. Yeah. So. There's a very interesting subplot in this in this episode. I think I don't think it bleeds into other episodes. I think it's resolved in episode three. Silvio tells Tony about a guy uh, who essentially is being shaken down for fifty percent of his motel business mm. from his son-in-law, um, and his name is Shlomo. Shlomo. And he basically comes to Tony and says, "Look, get me out of this." And uh, I think the deal that him and Tony come up with is a twenty-five percent. Yeah. Cut. So he's willing to give up 25% of his business to get the son-in-law out. 
Paulie and Silvio go to try to talk some sense into the son-in-law unsuccessfully. He has some of the best lines as far as, as I'm concerned or some of the best exchanges in the episode. Uh, Paulie and Silvio doesn't work, so they have to get Tony involved. And this is one of the themes that I had is that whenever Tony's in the middle of getting some downtime with one of his mistresses, he always his phone always, always seems to ring. Yeah. This will be a theme that we'll see constantly season in and season out. He has to come in, right? He goes, Tony, or uh, Paulie and Silvio kidnap the son-in-law. Yeah, Ariel. They take him to Satrials. Yeah, they take him upstairs in Satrials. And they try to knock some sense into him, not successful. Tony gets on the phone with Hesh for some mm-hmm. advice. Mm-hmm. First of all, Hesh tells him not to get involved with the Hasids. Yeah. Run, huh? Trust me. You don't want to do business with these people. Uh, so Tony gets there, and this is the scene that I love, and, and you guys riff on this too. The son-in-law says, You ever heard of the Masada? For two years, 900 Jews held their own against 15,000 Roman soldiers. They chose death before enslavement. And the Romans, where are they now? You're looking at them, asshole. Tony has one of the best lines probably of all time. If you had it, we had, we'll have to do at some point like a, like a bracket of Tonyisms. Uh-huh. And this is definitely going to be on that bracket. Fantastic line. So this gets Ariel to essentially acquiesce and yeah. say, sure, I'm out. Yeah. But then what happens with uh, Shlomo? Well, Shlomo, Shlomo, you know, eventually goes to Ariel and they work out their own deal, unbeknownst to Tony and the crew. And then uh, Shlomo tries to take care of him, tries to reference the Talmud. And then Tony's like, I don't give a fuck what he says, referencing the Talmud. ZZ Top. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, Tony, Tony gets his. But does he though? Do we know that he does? Yeah, yeah. Later on, later on in the series, you see uh, Furio well, comes to the hotel. Yeah. To oh, collect money. okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good. You see, I've forgotten. This, this is the beauty of it. So it does become the storyline does continue. Yeah. The, the help with strings becomes uh, Shlomo has to give Tony his twenty five percent out of Shlomo's half. Yeah. It's not. Ariel still gets a portion. I don't think they cover that, but probably something is still worked out with him because Titleman can't now renege on that because of the whole get thing. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a religious component to it too. Yeah. He's like bound by God yeah, to yeah. do the right thing by his I'll leave ex- the accounting to Ralph Cifaretto. <laughs> son-in-law, I like that. So that's that's the, the get scenario. There's another subplot. There's Artie. Uh, what's going on with Artie? Yeah, so Artie lost his restaurant you know, in the fire that, that Tony did to uh, avert a murder being done in, at Vesuvio. So, you know, Tony blew it up thinking that Artie would get the insurance money. But, you know, as we find out, the insurance money hasn't really kicked in yet. They're still, they're thinking it's arson. They're kind of investigating. So he doesn't really get anything. And now Tony's kind of overcome with guilt. But we know, we know what happens when Tony feels guilt. It kind of turns into rage. So so that's where we're kind of at with Artie. Doesn't have a restaurant, and now he has been asked by, by Carmela and Tony to host and cater a fundraiser that they're having at their house. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the story spilling on from the second episode and even the first with the restaurant, uh, and we're just getting a better look at the relationship between two friends that grew up together and obviously went in two different paths. Yeah. Uh, Artie's father was a cook or a chef and Tony's was a gangster and they've become their fathers and uh, Artie was transitioning into uh, not the best financial situation and 
you see that dynamic not only between Artie and Tony, but with also uh, Artie's wife and Carmela. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that dynamic. Uh, Carmela trying to do the power dynamic of like, you know, I'm in a better place than you. Yeah. My yeah. house is better than yours. I'm doing you a favor. But then Charmaine in a moment of like, which makes me love her character so much. She just kind of goes like, she just completely, <laughs> she completely eviscerates Carmela. Yeah. You went down to the show with your parents that summer. You and Tony were on the outs. He called me. He did? One thing led to another. We started dating each other and... Carmella, I slept with them. You slept with, with Tony? Really, it wasn't for me. Carmella, what I'm trying to say is stop worrying about me. Really. I mean, we both made our choices. I'm fine with mine. The look on Carmela's face is classic. Well, what well, do you say to that? Because yeah, I, yeah. I wonder if she laid in bed that night and thought, man, is Artie a better fuck than Tony? <laughs> <laughs> well, it gives props to Artie. She does three things in that one scene. <laughs> she puts Artie ahead of Tony, which is, you know, hasn't happened. She makes Carmela basically eat crow in a way. And then it makes charm she instantly becomes a badass yeah yeah well she she kind of had to do do something because the way that she was disrespected you know you go into the beginning of the episode where it's just charmaine and carmela hanging out that's when carmela asks charmaine to to cater and then she she looks at the carmela calls for the maid and does that really disrespectful hand gesture of like come hither and it's just so disrespectful the camera made a point to to emphasize yep, it yeah yep. the and awkwardness the, of the, that yeah yeah, yeah. And then, and then later on, you know, when uh, Carmela is schmoozing with the with the snobs, um, she does that same thing to Charmaine, and I think that that just rubs her the wrong way, as it should. So then she's just like thinking, I gotta, I gotta find a way to one up her, and she totally just like gets revenge. Uh, one thing that uh, comes of all of this is uh, an argument at the Sopranos kitchen. Well, it's an enjoyable scene, and even Carmela is shown in the background smiling at it, mm-hmm. but. No other person would get away with that no. that, that type of activity no. with Tony, and it's uh, again, it's it's cool to see the relationship that he has with Artie. Uh, that's so different from anyone. And we keep saying it. It's the, the only person. It's his connection to the outside world. Yeah. yeah. And it's his, it's a connection to his childhood. And so Artie is untouchable. Yeah. It's, he's the he's you the think, only think, like human part of Tony. Really, when you get down to it, he's 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 untouchable. Yeah. But besides his kids. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, touchy subject. Does Artie know? Does Artie know that he's untouchable? Or is Artie, know, okay, so, Does Artie so, so know that his wife slept with Tony? That's, that's Let's not spoil that. Question. Let's yeah. not spoil that. I don't think we ever find that. No, no, no we never, never do. Never okay. But it's interesting. So, so like, when you're watching the show, even even now after seeing it, obviously we've, we've all seen it a million times, but, like, you watch it and... Artie throws that whatever gobble at Tony and Tony has like a straight face for a good two, three seconds and you don't know what his reaction is right. going to be. You He's think actually, he could just snap like he does with every other he, person in the he world. He has to recalibrate yeah. for a second. and He gives that little smirk and then you know it's all good. It's just friends fucking around. Yeah. Um, let's briefly get the, the art fixation thing out of the way. There's two things. There's two paintings in particular. The Red Barn in Melfi's office and Tony mentions it. There's a rotted out tree. 
It obviously has to do with death. His encounters with Melfi, the sessions in this episode have to do with kind of existential crisis about what's the point of this. He has a religious like reckoning when he sees how far to the edge Ariel's willing to go to, you know, for his yeah. beliefs. I I didn't get anything out of the painting. I don't know if I'm if it's just me like dumb Vic or do you guys have any thoughts on the red barn and the rotted out tree? So I I think that's kind of the point. Um, as David Chase does with with a lot of parts of the show, like focusing on the ambiguity of things and does this have meaning? Does this not? You know, and we'll we'll leave it to the audience to decide. Like I I don't think that there's anything uh, really behind that painting. I think you know even Melfi says, "Oh, that yeah, I remember I got it at so and so, and it's kind of a throwaway thing." But Tony's really fixated on it. He just goes, "The fucking painting. I knew that was a fucking scam. I knew that painting was a fucking scam." Tony's fixations yeah. is a theme. Yeah, he's got these random because it's it's obviously important and it's meriting being talked about because the camera is choosing to show us the painting and then it's choosing to show us his reaction to the painting. Well, and I, I think it's not just the painting; it's his behavior. Anytime he's in Melfi's office, he's constantly critical or examining what she's doing or the ulterior motive of her question or you know her conclusions. It's like he's questioning the therapy or or thinking that there's some hidden meaning but behind everything. Yeah, he's still questioning Melfi's motives. He doesn't yeah. know like who she is. He's really fixated on her. He has her followed. He you know, he doesn't know and it's really important for him to kind of know cuz he feels unprotected. He's going to this completely new environment talking to somebody about his problems when obviously, you know, when you're when you're in LCN, you're not supposed to talk about anything. So he he just feels super, you know, unguarded, and he thinks that Melfi is trying to trick him with a scam painting. So Justin said LCN, La Cosa Nostra. So I thought we'd do a La Cosa Nostra primer. So here it is. The Italian island of Sicily, best known as the homeland of the mafia. Before the Godfather, Goodfellas, and the Sopranos, there was this tiny island soccer ball being kicked by the boot of Italy. Sicily formally joined Italy in the 1860s. This was an economic boon for Sicily. It meant more investment, which meant more jobs, which meant more money, which meant everyone was flush with the best olive oil money could buy. But boom times also created more crime, especially theft. Italy was a new state, and Sicily was literally and figuratively at the bottom of its priority list of nation state-building line items. So Sicilian businesses and citizens hired outside help in the form of gangs for protection and law enforcement. The arrangement worked out great. The gangs intimidated criminals and the weak and powerless had the protection they sought. Of course, they had to pay for it. The gangs eventually controlled entire territories. And it's pretty well established what happens when power, territory, and control are centralized. Effectively, half the island was controlled by what's now called the Mafia. A full-fledged, well-oiled, see what I did there? Crime syndicate. Because they were so good at what they did, naturally, it became an export. A topic of cultural interest and fodder for great storytelling. Because the name Mafia was adopted and appropriated by many other cultures around the world, the original Sicilian mafiosi devised the term La Cosa Nostra, 
which simply means our thing. So, now you've got these loosely associated groups called families. Each family has a head or boss. The heads of all the families make up a commission that coordinates things that affect more than one family. Picture a bunch of guys arguing about toppings on a pizza. Only the toppings are body counts, politicians, and business interests. An important note about families. Once you're in, you're in. You can't really get out. After the boss comes the underboss, and under him are the captains, or capos, that run all the individual soldiers. No Cosa Nostra org chart would be complete without a consigliere. His sole role is to advise the boss. Ideally, a yin to the boss's yang. Next, most people have heard of made guys. We talked about it in earlier episodes, and it will continue to be a theme going forward. How does a guy get from soldier to made guy? After years of productivity, there's an initiation process. It includes an interrogation, the reciting of a blood oath to never betray the family, and holding a burning piece of paper. Made guys have a shot at boss and consigliere. Those two slots are generally democratically elected. No primaries, debates, or formal campaigns, but there is a vote. So that's it. There's your primer. Back to the show. I want the red barn to mean something. Does it mean anything to you, Justin? No. Does it mean anything to you? No. John? What Damn it. Talk to us, Vic. No, but I, I just, I just want, I want there to be some like whiz bang. Like you're angry at someone. Uh, Tell me about it. <laughs> then there's the what other. What did John do to you? There's the other. <laughs> there's the other painting which really messed me up. Okay, it's the it's it's at Arena's, who is officially Arena now. Mm-hmm. The the character that will be Arena for mm-hmm. the rest of the series. She mentions the painter David Hockney. That's the cultural reference. His paintings are very L.A. Palm Springsy. Uh, this one in particular, though, is a picture of a of a chair that's empty, mm-hmm. and you see the larger image. And I didn't see it in the show. I had to see something else on someone else breaking this down online. You see a splash. So the implication is that somebody has just you know somebody's there. Somebody but... somebody just dove into the water. And what really got me thinking was this idea of the subject of the painting, the subject of our show, the subject of this series that we're watching, both being there and not there at the same time. Already gone. That's yep. some deep shit. Yeah. Okay? Mm. So that's all I'm going to say about that, but I wanted to draw attention to it because for obvious reasons, the three of us in this room, that has major significance. But number two, it's this kind of, again, it's very perfectly chosen, perfectly placed painting for the theme of this episode, which what, what sub theme of the episode, which is existentialism. Like, what is the point? Like, yeah. am I here? Are, things are going to go on as soon as I'm not here. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if you guys have any obsessions with the painting like I do, but I thought it was interesting that they chose to put that up. We know what to get Vic for Christmas. <laughs> So Meadow and Hunter have a there's a there's a scene with Meadow and Hunter and Christopher. It's kind of going to evolve into a theme, but what what is your do you want to you want to break that down for us and kind of like yeah they they come to Christopher to see if he can help them cop and I say that with quotations some some crystal, which seems a little extreme to me. Uh, they're they're trying to get speed so that they can study for the SATs. Uh, and Christopher at first turns them away, and they threaten to go 
to what they say Jefferson Street where yeah they likely like get robbed and, and basically raped. basically the wire base yeah yeah right right there uh, Omar would have gotten them mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, consequently it, it sort of ties into different parts of the story because uh, Christopher ends up giving Meadow the drugs and ultimately thinks that the the hit on him potentially by these Russians is because he had given drugs to Meadow. Yeah. Uh, when in actuality, it was Junior's, you know, choice to, to do that. Uh, one thing that I know I was talked to, at least uh, in one of the podcasts about the Sopranos and something that I never noticed until rewatching the episode is how high those two are at the end of the episode during the choir. Have you noticed that? No, I didn't. Oh my gosh. Go back and watch the, the first shot of all of the choir guys and girls. You can see Meadow's hand sort of wrenching hmm. and their mouths are moving around, their tongues are they're sweating. They're obviously acting they're, that. They're, that's, that's probably got do you think that was in unle- the script? Unless they were method and, and tried yeah. some of the crystal. <laughs> um you actually hit it, got to a great segue. That final scene where the the Meadow concert, the very godfathery yep. yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. How great was that? Yeah, so good. And I, I love how they cap it off with the uh, the Mo Green special, one in the eye for Brendan Falone. That oh, you that beat me was, to it. Yeah, that yeah. is very godfather esque, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And so the we have the eye, and we have the the yeah. bare torso. Yeah. That's the another parallel. Mm-hmm. And then you have there's something else that. Uh, well, you have Chris getting scared to shit literally in that same scene so it's kind of like tying up all loose ends so yeah so junior in a sense oh yeah is, christopher gets touched up on yeah, the dock yeah yeah, yeah yeah he gets a nice talking to there we go listen your friends are tony's gumar right listen metal wanted the crystal if i didn't get it to a shooter what's that jefferson avenue you tell tony they would have beat her they would have raped her i don't want to die now I didn't mean it. I am sorry. Listen to me. I was trying to save her. Listen to me. You speaking good. Well, and we need to pull up that scene again and listen to it carefully because I feel like you hear the Russians say Junior and you you don't subtly really know that he's really? saying huh. it, but I was wrong last week when we said something about what Carmela said. So I well, we'll have an errors here. and omissions section <laughs> yeah. every week. The I may be filled week, with it every week. <laughs> we can come back and check it. But so they were talking about, they, they mentioned Junior in Russian and, and Christopher didn't hear it? or did, Yeah. Or Christopher did hear it? Christopher didn't hear it because he's saying, I'm sorry, I didn't know I was giving her drugs. And then it was like Russian, Russian, Junior. We and might then, have to put this in the John is wrong section at the oh, end of the show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Um, and they also say P.U., which alludes to yeah, yeah, something to him, later on. To him shitting himself. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler it's, alert. It's, <laughs> you know, uh, another spoiler alert. Christopher on his knees in distress, you know, with his life flashing before his mm-hmm. eyes is also going to become a bit of a thing. Uh, he's He always finds himself on pushing it to the limit, so yeah. to speak, and getting to a point where he, his own his own life might be in danger. I didn't really think about that when watching it now, but mm-hmm. now that now that you guys are talking about it, I'm starting to think about him. And I, I remember I remember him screaming out in angst on multiple occasions. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. this is gonna become a thing for Christopher. Yeah. yeah the next episode is actually great. There's a great scene. Well I'm not gonna tell it talk about it today, but And it's interesting to to see like the way that Christopher reacts to, you know, his near death experience where he's just screaming and yelling and kind of begging for his life. And then you have like Ariel who's, who's kind of, you know, believes in his faith and his strong convictions 
and he he just stands stands tall and doesn't want to die. Obviously, you know, he kind of succumbs a little bit <laughs> later on, as we probably all would here. I I'd say no for sure, man. I mean, yeah. what, what you said, it's that psychology, right? Like it's um, a good moment for him uh, when you face death like that. I'm sure that makes you a better gangster too. Yeah. Yeah, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Isn't that what it's all about? Like believing in something. They always talk about that throughout the show, you know, like I don't care if I, you know, I don't mind if I die as long as it's for something, as long as it's uh, for a cause. And you kind of know, like at that moment, Christopher isn't made yet. He's he's not, you know, he's still kind of a baby in that whole lifestyle, even though he thinks he should have been made. And that's kind of how he reacts. He's he's scared of death. He's scared of dying. He doesn't want it to end. But later on, when he's faced with kind of the same situation, he, you know, he's still really emotional, but he's he's ready to kind of just deal with the punishment and take it. So that pretty much sums up the episode. For me, the the writing was on point. Some of the best writing, we've only been three episodes mm. in, but the memorable line list, I think this was Tony to Melfi. Trees, ducks, what the fuck are you, Ranger Rick? I'll tell you, some job you shrink, Scott, you think everybody's lying to you while you're pulling scams on them. Fuck you! Our deliveries and our paraphrasing is never going to do it justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you haven't, if you, but if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The cadence, the delivery, and again, the, the writing is really starting to find itself. Yeah. We're at a point where now where we kind of have our opinions about all of the characters, um, who we like, who we don't like. And then that theme that I talked about, like with Mikey, like we already know that this season is, it's already kind of set itself up to be like Tony versus Junior. That's mm-hmm. one, I guess, the big ticket. And then by extension now, it's Tony versus Mikey. Well, should we have a moment of silence for the first death of a main character, so to speak, in the, the series too? This is Brendan Falone's last episode. Yeah, let's, let's observe a moment of silence. Hi, Jack. Bye, Jack. Did, did Brendan Falone get memed yet? Uh, you know what? We don't. We don't. Right? I don't believe so. I don't so. think we do. We might have to cook something up. Is there anything that we miss? Anything that you want to get off your chest? I added some things to the notes on Campfire, and it's not on my Word file. Can I pull it from Basecamp here? Well, one one thing that that I kind of thought was was interesting, and it keeps building and building throughout the show, is is Carmela kind of equating money with happiness. Um, we'll we'll see that often. I like that. Yeah, but but it's it's where she's kind of seeing Charmaine. You know, kind of what what Carmela assumes is she's down on her luck. She just moves into like this place that Carmela doesn't think is is suitable for her or a friend of hers. And she just thinks that Charmaine's life is miserable when, in fact, you know, Artie and Charmaine, they're they're obviously upset that their restaurant and livelihood has been kind of taken away and, and is in jeopardy. But they still they still have, you know, optimism and, you know, are smiling and Artie, Artie gets a little sad later on, but they're still feeling pretty good about themselves and thinks they think things will turn around. And Carmela just thinks, oh man, did you see their place? It's not, it's so small. It's, she kept like trying to say it was cozy, but you know. That was a pejorative term for yeah. like shithole. Yeah. That's the realtor term. Yeah. Um, the, I like that. The, uh, the thing with, the thing with Carmela with what, to your point is she is, trying to justify her existence, you know, with money. She's mm. like, she's, she's explaining everything away with the money. And, uh, the other thing that you 
you, you notice about Artie and Charmaine is they argue, but they're happily married. Yeah. And he's not, at least the implication is that he's, he's a straight above board guy. Yeah. He's not cheating on her. And so Carmela in a way is jealous of that. And so she's using, you could, you could argue that she's throwing the money as a way to sort of offset yeah. her own feelings of like, you know, God, actually Charmaine has it kind of good. Well, yeah. the, the guilt that she has, I think, from being an accessory to all of the, the crime and knowing she knows what Tony does and she knows where the money comes from, but she makes an attempt to help her friends out or put on the charity dinner at her house and sort of trying to score points. Was that a charity dinner f- to raise money for Artie and Charmaine? No, it was no, for the no. pediatric hospital. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was because, uh, yeah. Okay, there I'm was glad. a great line that Artie talks about and you'd have to pull the soundbite of it when he, he's like, well, what are they going to build a, a wing of the hospital with bulletproof glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, them, it was them sort of poking fun at the Sopranos trying to pretend to be something that they're not, mm. which is, uh, I think I can relate in any, you've got groups of friends that may have more money than others. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and there's that constant perceived from either side of how they're perceived and how they perceive others. Right. And like wanting to like not say the wrong thing or talk about like what vacation, the whole Instagram culture, right? I like imagine the Sopranos with Instagram, (laughs) Carmela and her stories would have been abundant. Oh, Carmela's stories would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You guys may not like where I go here, but I I went down the rabbit hole of like an obscure character on the show Uh. and the stripper. I wanted to know more about this stripper in the, <laughs> the hospital, nurse? the nurse. Okay. This is podcast fodder, man. Bring it on. So <laughs> it's uh, the nurse was played by Bernadette Pinotti. Uh-huh. And forgive me if I mispronounce your name, Bernadette. You may have seen her later on in life in 2008's The Wrestler playing a tanning salon owner. No way. But what I found to be the most interesting <laughs> is that she was the personal assistant to Bruce Willis in The Whole Nine Yards and Tears of the Sun. So that was 2008. She had already had a small career as an actress. I I just, when I was figuring all this out, I was starting to think, do you think Bruce Willis, while perusing her resume, saw that she was on The Sopranos and was like, oh, let's watch that up. Oh, she's hired. This is great. Like, (laughs) from nurse slash stripper to personal assistant to Bruce Willis. Hey, rabbit hole, deep dive, anything you want, man. You just keep bringing it, bringing stuff like that. You, uh, you found something too. I saw, I didn't, I, I, I glanced, but you met, you found out some information about Shlomo too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You want to take that? Shlomo's, Shlomo's, uh, Shlomo's got a backstory. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Maury's wigs. Chuck Lowe. <laughs> that was a good find. Yeah. I think that's, uh, very David Chase-esque. He's always nodding to the great mafioso movies or culture. And, uh, you know, judging by his cast of characters that we've seen already, he's pulling from people that were in Goodfellas. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think there's, what, like 30 crossover actors from Goodfellas to The Sopranos. I think that plus, you know, all of the other great mafia movies, Godfather, Casino, all of them. There's a ton... There's a ton of crossover actors. We should that should, that might be a good segment to have. Like the, who uh, from Goodfellas was featured in this week's uh, Sopranos. Oh, for sure. We gotta get Chuck Lowe on the show. Is he s- still alive? Well, now so. you made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's alive. Man. Well, let's use the tools that we've learned in this episode to. <laughs> Yeah, I, but yeah, no. If if uh, certainly if there's ever if there's ever a guest if there's ever someone that was on the show and they 
uh, were on it for a fleeting moment like this one, we would love to get their perspective, especially for the taping. So that's something that we'll look to in the future. Um, I'm I'm tapped out. Uh, we gotta we gotta we're gonna catch a second half for fourth quarter of a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you guys want to say before we call it a day? No, I think I'm I think I'm good. Pot of Bing episode three is in the books. We and you're will, bragging this? <laughs> we will we will see you next week with uh, episode four, Meadowlands. Yes, perfect. So we'll be back next week with mm-hmm. Meadowlands. Take care. Hi, Jack. Bye, Jack. Bye.